Welcome to episode 288 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was recorded on Monday, 13th of December, 2021. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA. Jensen USA, where you will find a great selection of products at unbeatable prices with unparalleled customer service. Check them out at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast, and of course, I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast since 2006. For show notes, links, and other information, check out our website at www.the-spokesman.com. And now, here's my fellow host and producer, Carlton Reed and The Spokesman. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed, and today's show is an interview with veteran anti-roads campaigner John Stewart. He's been causing a fuss on social media over his controversial views on low traffic neighbourhoods, LTNs. Controversial because of his long history of campaigning against motor traffic. And also because he's the chair of the Campaign for Better Transport. Now, he penned a polemic in yesterday's Sunday Telegraph, which was headlined, LTNs are ineffective and inherently unfair. Rather than engage with him on Twitter, as many have done, and as I was kind of going to, I thought I'd get him on the show. And as you'll hear in this episode, which is just shy of an hour, we establish he's not against LTNs which push motor traffic onto motor roads, but those which he says push motor traffic onto boundary roads and where many people Live. Now, I do in this uh, episode talk about many studies which show the opposite. But anyway, uh, here is John Stewart. I want to get into your background in a minute because it, it does appear that we, we share many interests and, and, and probably we know very much the same people. But you have made this argument that has led to an awful lot of heat and light on 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 Twitter just recently and in the Telegraph uh, where you you wrote an article that has definitely got people um, up in arms and and wondering why somebody who's an environmentalist can be making these kind of arguments. So I'd like to explore that. I'd like to explore why you're making those arguments. But first of all, let's go into your background. So let's 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 show people that you know you've got some bona fides here in in the fact that you've you've been campaigning against cars in effect and and certainly rampant road building for many many years so tell us first of all your current role in this field and then let's go to your history okay the the current role is uh i'm really a bit of a freelance campaigner these days carlton uh, but i do chair both the uk noise association and uh, Campaign for Better Transport. Uh, I I have also done uh, fairly recently a lot of work on aviation issues, aviation noise. And then let's let's go to your history then, because, I mean, one of the organisations you chaired, I mean, this is the late 80s, 90s, was the All London Against the Road Building Menace, so ALARM, which was basically a, a consortium of groups, Yeah. It, it was. It was. That's right, Carlton. That's. Uh, I got involved in campaigning for public transport at a local level in South London, and then we across London we were hit with these proposals for a thirteen billion pound uh, program to update, uh, to upgrade roads, to build new highways. And, of course, that would have caused uh, a lot of destruction. Many people's homes would have gone. Uh, parks would be decimated. And this organization with the wonderful name All London Against the Road Building Menace, uh, Alarm, was formed. It essentially was a network of eventually 250 local groups across London, uh, which I which I helped bring together and which I chaired. And uh, we were actually successful. We the ro- all the road building schemes uh, proposed in the uh, program were dropped, uh, ironically, just before the local elections in London in 1990. Because I think the government of the day realised that it was going to lose heavily on this issue and this issue alone. So I've got to thank you for that, because that that clearly would have been genuinely a menace if if that had uh, come through. So. Yes. 
you've, you're now chairing the campaign for better transport. So we better explain it. that. I sort of almost know that better as Transport 2000 because um, it's an early 1970s organization. So were you also a chair of Transport 2000? So how long have you been involved with, with this group? This I've been involved with Transport 2000. You're quite right. It was called Transport 2000 until, well, sort of the year 2000, Carlton. <laughs> uh, we tried to change the name in the, in the year 2000, but the members were having none of it. So we, we struggled on beyond 2000, called Transport 2000, and then came up with this terribly compromised, somewhat boring name, Campaign for Better Transport, which could really mean anything at all. I've actually been involved with it since um, since the late 1980s, but it's only in the last... Uh, uh, and, and I chaired it for a short while in the early 2000s, uh, but it's only recently that I've taken on a more uh, uh, full-time role or... Uh, yeah, it's a much more upgraded role in sharing it over the last couple of years. So you could name drop here with like Michael Palin, Jenny Agatha. I, I, I can. Uh, I, I'll tell you a story about Michael Palin. Uh, my niece and nephew, who were uh, about seven or eight at the time, and of course they thought their uncle was dreadfully old-fashioned because he couldn't do any of this new technology on computers <laughs> and things, which was just meat and drink to them. And uh, you know, I was this old-fashioned uncle who came up to Edinburgh from time to time, and then suddenly they discovered I had met Michael Palin. And everything and everything changed. I was I was a new cool uncle who um, oh technology didn't really matter that he couldn't do it. So yes, I mean I uh, Michael Pelly was president of uh, Transport Two Thousand and then Campaign for Better Transport uh, for for quite some time and actually a very effective and very engaged president. Explain what the Campaign for Better Transport argues for because it was founded by a railway union in effect. So, so is it buses and trains and 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 that mainly, or has it always encompassed bicycling? Where do you think it stands in in the in the, in the pantheon of organisations? Well, you're quite you're quite right, Carlton. It was founded in the 1970s initially by the the, uh, the rail unions, and then the old British Rail came on board. And the idea was that both of them saw, uh, although they had differences amongst themselves, they saw the value in an independent body making the case for rail sort of opening doors that they couldn't open. So initially it was a rail body, then moved into uh, other forms of public transport. It it has tried to take a holistic view on transport, uh, pushing all the time for sustainable transport. But I think over the years it's probably done less on walking and cycling, mainly because there were other organisations which specialised in walking and cycling. And it was, you know, when you're an NGO, you want to uh, focus on the areas where perhaps nobody else is campaigning. So then you've got somebody like, and you can name drop here again, with, with Stephen Joseph, a very well-known uh, person in, in this sphere. So you had Stephen there. I mean, I mean he, he, he has pushed the bicycling and walking message a lot more, hasn't he? He most certainly has, and, and, and certainly in the in, in the nineteen nineties with uh, Stephen Joseph there and Lynn Sloman is his deputy. Uh, Transport two thousand, as it was then, was making uh, yes, was making considerable waves on, on on walking and cycling. And Stephen's a bit of a legend in the transport world. He was the chief executive of Transport two thousand for thirty years, and actually was very very keen, as it really is the organisation, to take. Uh, an holistic view on things so that uh, walking and cycling is as important as public transport, except perhaps these days we do a little bit less work on it, uh, simply because other organisations specialise in it. And then you mentioned Lynn Sloman there. Again, Lynn Sloman is a, a, a very well-known person in this sphere. Am I right in saying you're an associate of her Wales-based organisation, Transport Consultancy? I, I I am I, I, uh, I, I again I've known Lynn for a long time and uh, I, I'm an associate of her of of her consultancy which is as you probably know Carlton uh, it does a, a, a lot of fairly traditional work modelling work for the uh, Department for Transport local authorities and other organisations but it also tries to uh, push a, a a radical approach uh, radical solutions to uh, the transport problems that we face. And then I'm building up your bona fides here. 
uh, John. And, uh, <laughs> keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, I'm researching you. So slower speeds initiative and road peace again. Two organi- key organisations in this in this world. So you've chaired them as well. So you, you've knocked around a bit, John. I, I have. I have indeed. Yes, in the 1990s, um, uh, uh, Road Peace had just started. Road Peace was an organisation set up by uh, the wonderful Brigitte Chaudhry, whose son was mm-hmm. tragically killed in, in a road crash. She set it up and she established it uh, as uh, a national organisation, and she also established international organisations for road traffic victims. In the early 1990s, though, she was looking for people who had uh, uh, who, who who weren't mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters of road traffic victims, but who had some knowledge of uh, road transport and road danger. And initially, I came into the Road Danger Working Party, which they set up. But then uh, shortly afterwards, the, the chair of Road Peace uh, moved on. And I chaired Road Peace for about six years in the uh, in the 1990s. And that kind of led in the late 1990s to the formation of the Slower Speech Initiative, which brought together Road Peace, mm. a, a number of other uh, uh, organizations concerned with road safety, uh, people like uh, uh, Mayor Hillman and, mm. uh, uh, and others. And and I chaired that, and I think one of the interesting things, Carlton, is that you know there there in the late 1990s we were pressing for things like a 20 mile per hour speed limit to be the norm in built up areas. We weren't really getting anywhere, uh, but now, uh, thanks to the work of uh, Rod King and others, it is becoming the norm in built up areas. It's becoming the norm in Scotland mm. and Wales and many of the English cities. And I think one of the lessons, uh, one of the things that tells me is that. Even if you feel you're not getting somewhere as a campaigner, keep going. Don't mm. despair, because 20 years later, your work may uh, see uh, uh, bear fruit. Mm. Well, Mayor Hillman, certainly, like carbon credits, all that kind of stuff. He was way ahead of the uh, the field on that one. He was, he, he was indeed. I mean, the other thing I did in the 1990s was um, an extension of uh, Alarm in London, which was... Um, which was something called Alarm UK. Uh, as you may know, in 1989, the uh, government of the day boasted that it was, it was building the biggest road building program uh, since the Romans. It, it had dropped London, but it was moving on to the rest of the country. Now, it wasn't quite, we didn't quite say we've done London, let's go, let's go, let's go national. Mm. But a lot of people uh, and local groups from uh, around the country approached us and said, look, you won. And, and Few people win against road building schemes. Can you give us some assistance? So myself and a few others uh, uh, set up uh, Alarm UK in 1990, and eventually it had about 300 uh, local groups across the country, each opposing road building schemes, and with some success. Uh, Of the 600-odd schemes that were proposed uh, in 1989, uh, only about 160 of them were left uh, by the time the Labour government came in in 1997, and most of the most of the ones that uh, that weren't, uh, and most of them had been dropped. There were very few uh, still left as live schemes. So, so that was a that was a very interesting experience. It was a time of Twyford Down mm. and everything else like that. Mm. So, John, we've we've totally established your bony fides in this this area i'm sure lots of people listening to this will be nodding at home and just going yes 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 all of this is is exactly what i agree with etc and then (laughs) something that probably (laughs) isn't on people's radar uh, because obviously people think of ltns low traffic neighborhoods as a good thing there are other opinions out there that maybe challenge that opinion you have challenged that opinion absolutely now let, let's go before going to the telegraph piece w- would it would i be right in thinking that it was originally the 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 tweet from uh cut noise so from the uk uh noise association yeah which which that got a lot of heat and light about i don't know 10 days ago i remember seeing that kind of flaring up did that did the telegraph piece come from that <laughs> I think it did. I mean, I, I, the Telegraph approached me, and, and I think they had seen that piece, and they had seen that react the reaction to it uh, on Twitter, and they explored with me whether I'd be interested in writing a, a common piece for the newspaper. Yeah, I kind of assume I, I did. I, I just assumed that might be the case because I remember it bubbling up, and then it kind of died away again, and then this came in, yeah. this came in the Telegraph yesterday, this on the Telegraph, and it's like 
that's a very similar argument um, or argumentation to to that. And then you're clearly you're a chair of this organization too. So I kind of link the, the two things. So without wanting to, to completely um, say word for word what was in the telegraph, can you just give us the thumbnail sketch of, of how you would pitch your your uh, article that you you wrote for the telegraph? Well, you're quite right, uh, Carlton. Somebody like me, and I said this at the beginning of the article to the, uh, for the Telegraph, should be a great fan of low traffic neighbourhoods. They should be my Garden of Eden, my Nirvana. Uh, you know, quiet, peaceful, very few cars, and they are great places. No question about it. And the quality of life for most of the residents in them has increased no end. My concern. And it's a concern that goes back some years before the, the recent batch of low-traffic neighbourhoods. But, but my concern is, where is that traffic going? Now, we know some of it is disappearing because people are not using their cars quite so much as they did. But a lot of it is going on to the adjacent uh, main roads, the adjacent boundary roads. And uh, from noise perspective, from an air pollution perspective, the main roads are the roads which where the noise problems are. And the air pollution problems are greatest. And I had real difficulty in uh, any scheme, however good it is for the residents within that scheme, uh, putting yet more traffic uh, onto the main roads. So that was the concern. Uh, that was that was really the pitch to the telegraph. And uh, and I think they, they quite liked what I had to say. I, I think perhaps to add to that, um, there there is this fe- this feeling and I, and i think it's probably right that uh, on many of the ma- main roads the objections um have come from uh, a, a new quarter i think for the first time main road residents and many of them are uh, 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 from the bme community are finding their voice their mums and dads who are getting involved in environmental issues for the first time uh, largely because they're worried about the impact of the extra traffic on the health of their children. Their voice, I feel, is not being heard. Their voice... Why, why is that an either-or thing here? Why can't you have traffic reduction in the LTNs, in the low-traffic neighbourhoods, and also traffic reduction in exactly these places that, where that, people are saying, we don't want traffic here? Well, well OK, do both. Reduce that, traffic in both areas. That would be the ideal, but that's not happening. That happened. The best example of that happening, Carlson, is I think 1990s when uh, David Begg was the uh, in charge mm. of transport in Edinburgh. And he became very well known and very well respected in the mm. transport world. Uh, there's a large road from called Leith Walk, which goes from the old Leith docks right up to the centre of Edinburgh. Very wide, uh, big main road. And David Begg wanted to start to, uh, they didn't call it low traffic neighbourhoods in those days, but some traffic calming in the Mm -hmm. adjacent side roads because they were getting uh, overspilled traffic. But what he did at the same time as putting in the traffic calming measures in the overspilled side roads, he reallocated the space on the wide Leith Walk so he put in bus lanes. We've now got a tram. There's now going to be a tram going down it. He gave more space for pedestrians, so that actually there was very little space for overspill traffic from uh, those uh, side roads nearby. So it it can be done. It, it requires, I think, somebody with the the vision and the tenacity of David Begg to do it. My concern is that that is not what's on the agenda uh, right now with the low traffic neighbourhoods. But yes, I, I I can see the logic there. But if, for instance, a number of low traffic neighbourhoods coalesced together, in effect, you make more and more and more and more of these things over perhaps five, perhaps ten, perhaps twenty years. All of a sudden, every single road is then gets exactly this treatment you're talking about. So, so don't argue against you know the the, the perfect. You know, go for the good. I, 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 there's a lot of truth. There's a lot of truth in that, Carlton. I think my worry, and and speaking to the uh, the mums and dads, the parents on the uh, the main roads, they're getting the extra traffic. They're saying that is a great theory. 
but it could mean that they are living with this extra traffic for five or ten or fifteen years. That their children, who are now uh, 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 will spend their entire school uh, age years living with this extra traffic. That's the worry. Uh, uh, the, the wor- they would need some reassurance that it's going to happen much more. A, it's going to happen. And B, it's going to happen much more quickly than that. And while what you're saying is, I think, uh, has a huge amount of merit, I'm not sure that that's what some of the uh, proponents of low-traffic neighbourhoods are saying. They are primarily concerned to to, to get in place uh, 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 low-traffic neighbourhoods there's, there's been very little, not not nothing, but very little from from a lot of them about the sort of proposals you're talking about. Their heart is in low traffic neighbourhoods. Their heart is not elsewhere. One of the, the things on social media that 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 I've seen the arguments you've you've because you, lots of people have come up, uh, up against you and, and said they don't agree. So one of the things you've come up with, or one of the things you say, you you, you mentioned you know cycling infrastructure, you mentioned um, bus lanes, you mentioned all these other things. Uh, as as and and in 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 your uh, Telegraph piece, it also mentioned this thing, which is, but it was obviously a, a, just a throwaway line because I don't think the Telegraph would actually run this as a full argument. But road uh, user charging is that not even more ambitious than yes. a whole bunch of LTNs everywhere? In that we know, you know, because you, you've been in this sphere, that you know the Smead report of the nineteen sixties, you know, has been ignored. Every single report that's ever been done on this has been totally shelved instantly. Uh, governments will not touch this with a barge pole, even though, you know, with climate change concerns, we know they ought to. So is the, what, what you're actually proposing is, is much more uh, ambitious, potentially even unfair to the very communities uh, you're potentially talking about. So you're arguing with something that's really perfect when you could be having slight goods now. I think there's, there's two points there. One about it has been too ambitious, and the other bit, uh, the question about the fairness. I I think we're in a new world as far as road user charging is concerned, and the new world has been brought about by electric vehicles. Mm. By their very nature, electric vehicles will not be paying a fuel charge. And the government raises a huge amount of money from fuel charges. It's got to find mm. a way of... Um, uh, 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 replacing that money. The obvious way is road user charging. Uh, governments, you're quite right, uh, Carlton, have shied away from it politically, but I mm. think there's an inevitability about it because I think they, they, they need the cash. They need the money. Now, if there's an inevitability about it, I think the challenge then, and this is your other point, the challenge then is how do we bring it in in, in a fair way. And what, what it seems to me that low traffic neighborhoods are uh, a little bit of a distraction. And perhaps more than that, their divisiveness is, is not helping to try to get communities, uh, politicians to think together about bringing in this, you're right, enormous change of road user charging in a fair and equitable but also effective way. I believe that's the challenge that uh, we uh, 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 as local communities, as campaigners, NGOs and politicians should be facing up to now. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on the fairness. Uh, I know you wanted to touch on the fairness of road use surprising. We can we can come back to that in a second. But just, just on the, the the point about low traffic neighbourhoods and, and the fact that you can potentially uh, join them together but it's it's what what is the alternative so if if you are saying you are against low traffic neighborhoods are you therefore in favor of a removing them and b wouldn't that just diffuse traffic road traffic motor traffic everywhere which is the the thing that, that we're trying to, to to stop is it okay it's not good to have the all this traffic on main roads because many people live there. 7.5% uh, of Londoners live on these main roads. However, that's kind of what they were designed for, many of them, not all of them, but many of them. And they certainly shouldn't be on the residential roads. So if they're going to be anywhere, they're going to have to go somewhere. So stick them on the bits of infrastructure that they're at least designed to, to, to carry this traffic. Why would you have traffic going uh, diffuse everywhere 
I, I, I think it, it's right. I think people living and working on main roads recognise that they are different sorts of roads. There always will be a little bit more traffic on them. That, that, that's that's the nature of them. I think that's recognised. I, I, I think the concern, if we go, I think the concern is that is the amount of traffic that is already on main roads and, and, and the worry about putting more traffic onto them. Now, whether you get rid of all LTNs, I don't know. Certainly some of them, in my view, should go. But, uh, you know, there are LTNs put in place 20, 30 years ago. Uh, I think we have to live in the real world and, you know, I probably wouldn't be taking them out. Um, but I, I, I do come back to this point that I think as long as they are there and as long as they are causing the division that they're causing, it's going to be very hard to get uh, people to unite around what I think is a transformational scheme of uh, road user charging. Well, why are they leading to divisiveness? Because motorists can get everywhere they want to want to go. They, they're not banned from every single place in these areas. They just might have to take a, a longer way around and they can't go the way they're used to going, but they can still get to every single residential property. Nobody's stopping anybody. No. Why, why the divisiveness? Why is this a problem? Uh, well, I, 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 yes. I mean, I think there's this, 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 this two problems. The one, one you've outlined is, in my view, uh, uh, not a major problem. It's, it's certainly it's, it's an inconvenience. I think the big problem is one I was talking about earlier is the, uh, the extra traffic on the main roads and the feeling by a lot of people living on the main roads that they have got no guarantee that that traffic is going to be dealt with. Therefore, they have no hope, they feel, that the situation which they believe is uh, contributing to the bad health of their children is going to be dealt with. That That is the divisive bit. That's a controversial bit. Uh, and, though, uh, and, and, and while that is still there, it, it, it is going to remain, in my view, divisive. So what about the, the, the mayor's ULEs, the, the ultra-low yeah. emission zones? So what, where, where do you stand on them? Do they not eventually get traffic off the roads? Yes, I, th- I think they do. I mean, I, I, I think with ULEs, I mean, the mayor is doing it for air pollution reasons, uh, I think, primarily. Mm. Uh, but, I, but I think what ULEs and those type of schemes are doing is beginning to introduce the idea of uh, you know, payment for travel by car. Uh, and uh, and in that sense uh, I think they're not a bad idea because transformational change takes an awful long time and if you start to be if you start with things like ULES then the idea of paying a little bit more uh, to travel on the roads uh, begins to be embedded and possibly to some extent accepted by people Uh, it's not so it's not so shocking it's not so new in that point they could be a useful precursor to uh, road user charging. John, are you are you against LTNs in London and specific areas of London, or are you against LTNs, the concept, anywhere in the UK? I, I was I'm never very I was never very keen on them or their predecessors, Carlton. I remember writing some. This goes back to the 1990s, um, I, I, and at the time they were they were called they weren't called LTNs. You know, they, they were traffic they were traffic mm. cells. Mm. And the idea, as, as you probably remember, traffic calmed the cell of, re- of, of residential roads, of side roads, and the traffic was going onto the main roads. And that was kind of the, uh, uh, the policy of many local authorities. I, I, I wasn't happy about it. I, I remember writing something which um, was called, uh, I think, Poor Show, which came out in 1998, was somewhere between a pamphlet and a book. And, um, and I... Where, where I looked at traffic on main roads in, in the London borough of Greenwich, and the and, and and there was a particular problem with the noise and the air pollution even then from the traffic. Uh, mm-hmm. It was being funneled onto the main roads. I've never really been keen on the concept, um, and I said perhaps that's one reason why I've reacted uh, mm-hmm. as I have done to the low traffic neighbourhoods uh, in London or elsewhere. Yeah, I can quote from that. So, yeah, 1998, poor show. Transport policy must reject the growing tendency to traffic calm residential roads by increasing the amount of traffic on main roads. So, again, we've established you have a long history on this. So this is not something that, you know, you've done to bait the telegraph just yesterday. You have thought about no, this for indeed. a long time. 
indeed. I mean, and it's difficult to get that across uh, to, to people who don't know me on Twitter. There's no reason why they should should believe all that. But uh, but certainly, this concept of lo- what we now call low traffic neighbourhoods has has always worried me going back thirty odd years. So the reason I was asking you, um, is this a London thing? Is this a, a Dulwich thing? You know, you're, you're really just really genuinely just campaigning about just one. So we've established that may not be the case. But if you look at somewhere like Birmingham, which, you know, my Guardian article uh, described that, and it's not, it's not their description, it's my description. It described it basically, even though they did agree with the description, uh, it's basically a city-sized low-traffic neighbourhood in that they are going to be doing the cells, which you just talked about. Um, they're not calling it, they're calling some of them low traffic neighborhoods, but basically they're shoving all of the traffic onto, they're not even residential roads, it's just the ring road. So why would you be opposed to an LTN if all it's doing is shoving it onto a non-residential ring road? That That's a much more interesting concept, you see, I think. Um, I, I, and that's the sort of thing that some of the Belgium and Dutch cities have done over the years. I think Ghent mm. has done that. Uh, mm. I think some, some of the Dutch cities have done that. Uh, that, that, in my view, is, is, is... I mean, I don't know enough about the, the, the Birmingham Ring Road, but I, I, I think you're probably right. It's, it's not really a residential road. Um, and in, in my view... I don't. I don't have the same concerns about that, uh, and, and and I think uh, what Andy Street is doing up in Birmingham is is uh, more sensible and uh, more creative, more imaginative than uh, what has been done in London. Let's let's not give it to Andy Street because it's actually uh, Councillor Wasim Zafar. Okay, much as I liked Andy Street when he was running when he was running John Lewis's, let, let's give the credit where credit is due, Carlton. Yes, absolutely. But he is he is making some good noises, so let's not take it totally away from. from no, no, indeed, um, indeed. But you mentioned Ghent, and you mentioned you know that that's how they did that because the, the UK um, the the cut noise has plugged Ghent just recently in a tweet. And that, of course, is, again, it's like, because the, the reason that, <clears throat> I mean, Ghent, I mean, when I talked to the deputy mayor of Ghent, he said, you know, they got an awful lot of abuse before they brought the traffic circulation measures in, you know, death threats, all sorts of awful stuff, you know, the world is going to end, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They brought it in, the traffic circulation plan a couple of years ago, and then people now come up in the street and thank him. Because and this this will hopefully be music, literally music to your ears. In that, because they can hear birdsong again, and they got rid of the cars, and then they can hear each other talking, all of a sudden. So these things can can be both reduce uh, traffic and traffic noise. So if, as you said in your Telegraph piece, that's the nirvana that you want, the certainly the the the, the noise part of it. Why not just accept that there will be potentially in the short term some impact, but is going to be an awful lot of fantastic stuff for an awful lot of people? There are going to be fantastic stuff for a lot of people, but I think the Ghent thing had had, had another had another difference. Uh, not, not only was it on a much broader scale, the Birmingham type scale, um, but but when when these guys were facing their death threats, threats and abuse, they could argue not only about coming up with a creative and potentially effective scheme, but a fair scheme. And this this is you see what I think the the proponents of LTNs can't argue they can argue to some extent that they definitely they will bring benefits to people living with an ltns definitely Mm. they'll bring some effectiveness and enabling more people to cycle and walk but they can't argue the fairness and because they can't argue the fairness uh, they are they're going to struggle in a way uh, that i don't think the people of ghent uh, the people putting the schemes in in ghent uh, would have done i think that's a critical difference for me but the surveys that have been carried out, and I'm sure you've seen it on social media where the, the local councils have done the surveys and they, they find the exact same opposition that Ghent got and, and the, probably the same uh, death threats that, that Ghent got. And when they bed in, people are really, really opposed to change. We know that. But when you bring these um, things in, even the people who are dead against LTNs, you know, and, and were died in the wool motorists and would never want to, to say they ever support this, they warm to it. And Waltham Forest is a, is a pretty good example of 
all the things that have been put in Waltham Forest, you know, they had to kick and scream to get them in. And now if you go and talk to people in Waltham Forest, nobody would want to rip those out. And and, and they weren't even called LTNs at, at the time. No. Um, so people don't want to rip LTNs or however you want to describe them once they've bedded in. I think I think what you said about the you know, motorists and some of the local residents uh, who are opposed, they do come to accept them. They often come to like them. I think that's absolutely right. But I come back to my my point, and actually the main point of the Telegraph article as well. That does doesn't apply to people on main roads. You are right, Carlton. It may apply if the traffic is dealt with on the main roads in five or ten years' time. But that is a lifetime away for people. It doesn't apply to them. That's where that's where the concern is going to remain. That's where the unfairness is going to remain. That's where the divisiveness is going to remain. And but then, to, again, bring back Waltham Forest. The Waltham Forest has found it reduced traffic on boundary roads. On some, they have, on, it's a very small some, amount. Uh, yeah, Very small, uh, uh, but it has reduced. I, I, on, 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 on some of them, that's right. Not on all of them. Mm. Uh, 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 yes, I, I, I think I think what seems to be happening. It's it's it's. It, I know Walton Forest was was pre-COVID, but I, I think, and it's quite different. But and it's COVID is sort of. Uh, you know, because the traffic levels changed anyway, it's difficult to make assessments. But I, I think what seems to be happening, uh, not just in Walton Forest and elsewhere, in certainly in the London LTNs, is that uh, some boundary roads it, it's re- been reduced on, other boundary roads it's been increased. I, I, from my own observation, but you know, I have no studies would need to be done to to, to back this up. It seems to me that where you've got an LTN. Uh, in areas where there is relatively low car ownership, the increase on boundary roads can be quite small. It's the in, it's in the LTNs where there's large uh, car ownership that the LTN that the uh, the boundary roads and the people on them can be suffering. Now that's my observation from looking at the various uh, uh, data from the different boroughs. But as I say, work will need to be done on them. So it, it, it's uh, it's a bit of a mixed picture, but it's certainly an unclear picture overall as yet. So let, let's go to some studies. So I'm sure you're familiar with the studies that have been done, and most of them have been done, you know, by by Rachel Aldred, uh, University of Westminster, by Anna Goodman, Scott Urban, uh, who, who've done uh, uh, three or four studies out there now on the the uh, the equity on the fairness on the the potential unfairness uh, to people of color uh, is which is one of the claims and they just haven't found that you know the studies that they've done and they've done it to you know to down to 300 household you know cells they just haven't found this at all if anything it's 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 the opposite it's, it's so what, are they studies wrong in, uh, uh, you know I, I i think they i think they're credible re- researchers i mean they are uh, there's accusations they're very close to uh, uh, you know the, the cycling campaigners and so on but I, I think that you know, I know Anna Goodman reasonably well and I think they're, they're, they're uh, you know she's a credible researcher um, I, I, I think it's true and I, I think a number of things uh, original things have come out of the study which are interesting I, I think it is certainly true to say that for a a lot of people, including a lot of low-income households, living within the, the uh, and including uh, households of uh, ethnic minority people living within the LTNs, they they have clearly benefited. And in some ways, the LTNs of today are better than the old uh, uh, um, areas that were traffic calmed in the 1990s because they do encompass much more the lower income areas as well as the higher income areas. Mm. I, I think that is, that, that, that's undoubtedly a finding. I, I think the other interesting thing that uh, uh, Aldred and Goodman have found is that on main roads, uh, uh, you, you quoted the proportion of li- people living there, um, that, that, that there is, it, it's not, it's not, Necessarily true to say that all the poor people live on main roads. Uh, that was that was something that was said probably in the nineteen nineties. That wasn't quite true, and mm. their research has corrected that. What I don't think, though, that their research has properly tried to address is the uh, 
the attitudes of people living on the boundary roads where there has been an increase in traffic. They haven't really properly tried to address that. And if they haven't addressed that, I, I don't think they're able at this stage to come up with any credible solutions for that. Where are you going to put these cars? Because as you, I know you, you, you know that there's, there's, because I've seen on your blog where you have mentioned the statistics that I mentioned in my Guardian piece, which was, you know, 28 million cars, 2007, you know, best part of 40 million now, almost a doubling in, in number of cars. So, you know, court doesn't fit into a pint pot, et cetera, et cetera. There's an awful lot of motor vehicles out there. And if we just give them free reign to go absolutely everywhere, they will. And then everywhere is hell. Whereas if, if just, just for the sake of argument, there's only slivers of hell if we put everything onto the boundary roads. If, if we say that's unfair, okay, it's unfair. Let's just say that. However, it's just a small amount of, of people. And you're actually freeing up the, the rest of the city to the great majority of people. So it's the greater good here. Yes, it's terribly unfair for the people who live on, on boundary roads. And what you've got to do is reduce the traffic there too. But why would you want cars to go everywhere? I for for a long time, as you, as you probably know, uh, 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 Carlton, I uh, I chaired uh, uh, the, the organisation which looks after residents impacted by Heathrow Airport and its flight paths. And there mm. is a big debate going on right now as the flight paths will be changed because of, for, for uh, to 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 include modern technology. And the debate is whether you put the flight paths concentrated all the way, say, from the North Sea to Heathrow Airport in one narrow line so that a relatively small proportion of people get all the noise, they get it all the time, or whether you mm. try to uh, uh, alternate those flight paths, which means that more people will get the noise but uh, for less, each for less of the time. Now, as you might expect, I'm very much in favour of the alternation and the respite, and I, because I really don't think, in the end of the day, it's either fair or possibly even credible to put all the planes over a, 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 a select communities all day long. And I think the par there's, there's a similar parallel there. I mean, what you're saying is right. You know, there, there, there would be hell for a lot of people. But uh, in the end of the day, I, I don't think you can, you can put uh, give, give a minority of people, particularly in London, it's a big minority of people living on the main road. There's about 720,000 people the size of a, a city. You can't give them sheer hell all the time so that others can get a relatively pleasant environment. With the article you wrote in, uh, in, in the Telegraph, so your own organisation has come out and said, you know, these are your personal views. Because people are now saying they want to, to quit the campaign for better transport, you know, tear up my membership card, all that kind of stuff. Yes. And, and, and CBT... Uh, I don't know. How, I, yes, some, some, some are, some are. Gotten. I don't know how many in total, but some certainly, are, a few, a handful certainly are. Yes. So, campaign for, for better transport has has in effect distanced itself from that article and saying, you know, it's your views, and of course, you're absolutely entitled to have a a view that's contrary to the to the organisation that you chair. But do you think that? Um, that's a position that can last for very long if you're you're in effect opposed to what you, your organisation stands for. And they've they've posted a, a, a blog posting which says this is our opinion on LTNs. We're very much in favour of them. Yes, I, I saw the blog post, and, and actually, uh, I, I was obviously in contact with the people at Campaign for Better Transport this morning. I saw the blog post, saw, saw the tweet, and, and actually liked it. And I, and I made a point of liking the tweet because I wanted to reinforce uh, uh, what they were saying. Uh, yes, I, 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 I think it's, uh, I think it's quite credible for me to stay as chair uh, and still have a, a, view, a different view on this. If I, if I had a different view on the. Uh, on on the basic thrust of where the organisation is going, uh, if I didn't share the values of the organisation, that would be very different. But I I don't think that this is in that category.
Mm. Now you have taken, and you've been very um, good to respond to, to most people who've, who've come on to you and you have, and you've basically said the same tweet to, to a lot of people, which is, you know, you're in favor of cycling infrastructure, you're in favor of uh, more pedestrianization, you're in favor of uh, uh, bus lanes, and you're in favor of uh, road user charging. But many people have said, but what you're not giving us is the actual data. So you've said um, that that uh, LTNs are a unpopular uh, with many people, and and b they're not effective. And people have been saying to you, show us the data, show us where that that says that, because we've got the data here that says the opposite. So why haven't you answered people? Well, I I I I, I think I have, but but uh, let me let me say that I think that's the question that took me aback, because I'd gone through the data with some care because mm-hmm. clearly you're not going to write an, an article for something like the, the Sunday Telegraph without going through the data first. I'd gone through the data with some care and it was absolutely clear to me that although, uh, as we were saying earlier, although uh, th- there's not overspill onto all the boundary roads, virtually every LTN has overspill onto some of the boundary and main roads. And I, I kind of took that as a given I didn't think I needed to prove that, and I, and I assumed that particularly some of the uh, uh, clearly specialist people who were who were uh, challenging me had had uh, had read the data as well. Uh, but how do we know it's from the the LTNs? Because all motor traffic has gone up during the the coronavirus yeah. crisis, so it could be just that. It's just you know we, there is more traffic on the roads. Full stop. It 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 it, it that's why COVID makes it a little bit difficult. But I've looked at in some detail at um, what some of the consultants have done. For example, Sistra, who who worked for Lambeth, uh, and who are a very credible consultancy who who I've known from the aviation days, and they have made a, a, a really big attempt to try and take account of the COVID situation. Now, I think they recognize, we'd all recognize that, you know, they may not be able to do it all uh, completely, but they've tried to take account of that. And even so, they are showing, uh, in some cases, considerable increases in traffic on boundary roads uh, around the LTN. And it's it's that data which I thought people would have read. Um, Now, this morning, uh, I, I kind of, try to collate some of it and put it out on Twitter uh, and just encourage people themselves to go through all the data and to go behind the headlines. I think it is true to say that some of the councils, not all, but some of the councils who have presented the data in the best possible light because they want to keep the LTN. Now, you know, that's what organizations do. But I've, I've said to people today on Twitter, if that's the data you're reading, go behind it. Go behind it and look at the individual roads because that does show uh, and does back up what I think what I'm saying is that many of the boundary roads are suffering adversely as a result of the LTNs. But only if they're residential. So we've established that that was your beef. So if it's a, a, re- if it's a road that is in effect, so like the, the Eastern Avenue, so that's, you know, we have no... Uh, houses uh, on there at all. No residential areas against there. Um, There were many roads like that in London. So you're not against LTNs that have boundaries against, for want of a better word, motor roads. It's only where they are on main roads that have residents. Is that right? Residence roads are the key thing. That's that's right. We uh, Years ago, uh, UK Noise Association, we did a competition to find the noisiest road in the UK. And we deliberately excluded... Motorways probably are the noisiest road in the UK. But we deliberately excluded hmm. motorways because we were only interested in roads where people lived. And that continues to be my position, yes. So let's come back. We'll, we'll finish on this because this was also one of the key things that you did mention in your Telegraph piece. And we have touched on on on, on this the show already, um, but we need to come back to it because it was the unfairness bit, which which I I, uh, I stopped you from talking about. So road user uh, charging. Now, one of the, the, the complaints against that is if you're looking at something that's inequitable, well, road user charging, you know, if you're rich, you're going to be able to afford uh, road user charging, no problem. So how do you solve the inequity uh, that's, that's inbuilt into road user charging? Yes, it's inbuilt. And I, th- and I think what you've got to do is, uh, first of all, uh, take at least some of the money and put it into uh, public transport, 
so that the fares uh, for people using public transport come down significantly. You've got to uh, put some of the money into reallocating space on main roads as well as side roads uh, for people walking and cycling. Uh, you may also have to tighten the parking rules and you certainly will have to uh, reduce uh, uh, speed limits because if you've got fewer cars on the roads, they'll, they'll speed up. The, the critical thing, I think, Carlton, I, I would say, is that I think road user charging will be fair or as fair as it can be if for your typical person, he or she is spending less on transport overall during the course of a year uh, than he or she is now. Uh, uh, that, that means that people will be using public transport much more, but it will be much cheaper, but the total family budget uh, spent on transport will be less than it is now. If we can get to that situation, uh, we've got to uh, a reasonably fair situation. So, John, many of the points you've touched on, and it's, it's, it's slightly curate's egg, this, in that um, people, most people, I would say, are going to be in total agreement with you on about 90% of, of what you said. So it literally is just that LTN part. And I think we've now dug down into it enough to find out it really isn't LTNs per se. It's only the boundary road. So that's your 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 main concern. And I guess a lot of people would also have very similar concerns to boundary roads also in that most people want the traffic reduced on the boundary roads also they do, they do um and that, that's absolutely right um the, the, yes it's, it's certainly an aspiration um but i, I for, for most people i think that's absolutely right because a lot of people a lot of us as we were saying earlier uh, use the main boundary roads particularly their main roads you know we use them to shop and go to school and work mm. and everything else um so a lot of people have interest in less traffic on the boundary roads um but i, I but i think it's uh, there's a difference between those people and the people who are actually stuck living on those boundary roads, on those main roads all the time, for whom it's an absolute imperative. Mm, I think we can uh, agree on that. I think nobody would want to, to to live with that much pollution and that much noise. We, I think we can all agree on that for, de- for definitely. So thank you ever so much for talking to us today, because I, I saw all of this bubbling up last night. I saw you answering people. I almost, In fact, I did do one or two tweets and then we thought no i think i'll just rather talk to you rather than just come up with like a pithy comment which many people have, have, have come out and just been totally against you i thought i'd actually talk to you and and find out a bit more of a nuanced view especially with your background because maybe many people are just looking at the organization you know they they associate with you and then haven't looked back to your your background, to which most people are going to be subscribing to your background and, and, and where you've come from. So thank you ever so much for, for coming on and explaining your point of view. Thank you, Carlton. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks to John Stewart there. And thanks to you for listening to episode 288 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. The next show is an interview with ultra cyclist and bike product entrepreneur, Andrew Phillips. That'll be out next week. But meanwhile... Get out there and ride.